Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Outkick 360 and the Tennessee Power Hour. Glad you're with us. Alongside Chad Withrow and Paul Koharski, I'm Jonathan Hutton. Lance Lee and Jakob Swanson making the show happen for us. David Reed is the chairman of the board. Gentlemen, the Preds in a playoff push. And if they don't make the postseason, we will be discussing last night's game in Chicago as one of the reasons why. And it will be a descriptive reason because they were up 4-1 with 10 minutes to play in regulation. Chicago comes back to tie the game within three minutes. 10-minute mark to 7-minute mark. Three goals. Tied at four. They win in overtime against Soros. And it's a 5-4 victory for the Blackhawks. And as we look at the standings, right now, the Preds, with 52 points, they're in the fourth spot. But... Crucial points lost last night, and what should have been a win ends up being a devastating loss. And you guys know my mantra, especially with regular season games. It's not if you lose, it's how you lose. And that loss could end up, could end up telling us a lot about the makeup of this team after what's been a great turnaround. It also means it's a must win in this three-game set with Chicago. To win two out of three was a must going in. Because the game's in hand with Dallas, because of the situation they're in, mm -hmm. so they went from let's go ahead and finish off this clean sweep of Chicago, up four to one to a must win in their next game with Chicago. This was an epic collapse, and it's all on the defense. Let's take a look at a few screenshots that I took of just what the defense was up to on uh, two of these goals that combined for the comeback. <laughs> and this looks Look photoshopped. Here. This, this looks, looks photoshopped. photoshopped. We'll describe it as best we can for those that are listening and not watching. We have three defenders in a diagonal roll, row. This looks like a coach set this up and said, here's an emergency situation. Here is a player closing in for a pass wide open on our goalie. What would we do? If this emergency situation somehow arose and all of our players somehow had fallen asleep and they woke up and they were all two yards behind the, the potential goal scorer, what would we do here? The answer is we'd give up an easy goal on a one uh, breakaway on our goal. Look at that. It, it doesn't just look Photoshopped. <clears throat> it looks like the, the hockey highlight or sports highlight where they put the bright light on a player and they put them more in focus and bring them out to show what they're doing isolated on a play. It looks like they did that and moved Preds defenders back also away right. to make them look like they're not where they were supposed this to be. This made it 4-3. Uh, it's 4-2 with 8.48 remaining. Chicago had already scored one of their three goals. Uh, but keep in mind, look at the scoring chances at the time. 21 scoring chances. Yes. That's not shots. It's scoring chances. 12 scoring chances for Chicago. So and this is not a lapse in defense for a game. This is a three-minute collapse of defense where they end up scoring here. And then here is... Let's go to the next. 
Well, we want to advertise that as well. But look here, uh, number eight at the high slot. Anyone, any, look at the amount of white ice. Look at what he is. He, he's going for a skate. <laughs> this guy's going for a skate. Three we got three on predators over near the boards. With no one around Another them. one behind the goal over on the other corner. And a, a, it's like a, the men's individual Hawk. competition in the Olympics. Yes, here. and a, a, a <laughs> Black like an Hawk, NHL All-Star game. A member up. of the Chicago <laughs> NHL franchise with the puck alone behind the net. Gee, I wonder who he will be passing it to. Will it be this gentleman walking up the slot alone? Yes, yes it will. And what will this man do with the puck? Oh, he'll easily deposit easily. it behind a goalie with whom he's one-on-one. -on -one. I mean, I, look at that. Paul, you're going to enjoy this reference. Did I, I have fun taking these pictures before did. the show yeah, or you what? Did. You, you had a lot of fun it's, with it. Um, it was great. You'll enjoy this reference, Paul, and it has our show history in it also. I watch a show called The Moody's on Fox. The star of that show is one Dennis Leary, who we <laughs> interviewed at the Super Bowl. And Dennis Leary oh, in the like show film, plays on a men's league hockey team in Chicago. He's a big Blackhawks fan. And in this show, he scored a goal in the last episode. And he was more, not as open as that Chicago Blackhawks player was going against 55-year-old defensemen in this men's hockey league. That's how bad the Preds were. And I'll ask you guys this question. Preds do virtually nothing at the trade deadline to reshape their roster. If they do nothing and don't make the playoffs, how angry should Preds fans be? Uh, not angry. Not angry. They didn't sell or buy. I mean, they, they bought a backup player, so it's not like they spent more capital to make a playoff push. Um, they set with the current roster, uh, and they have some contracts that, quite frankly, teams don't want to pick up. And they kept the team-friendly contracts as well and didn't trade away players like Ekholm. Uh, I don't think they should be too angry. I just think... It's gonna Based be on where they were. It's going to be surprising to me as it does if it doesn't go as was predictable. They could play very well against some very bad teams and they can get hot. Uh, and, and Chicago's not one of those teams. But when it comes time to have to do something against the Carolina or who is it, Tampa, um, they're just not. I mean, the lines are pretty distinct. And it's pretty clear because you're playing those teams over and over who you're good against and who you're not as good as. And, and that's going to come to fruition. Chad, I, I, I only say that there, w there won't be a ton of anger because the anger has already boiled over with the way they started the season and how bad they were and the fact that they've turned it around to this point to where they didn't sell off a lot of their current roster is a victory in and of itself. Even though this team is set up to do more than just battle for the four seed. There's a lot of fans who believe they need to sell off a lot and start over and start to and start the rebuild now and not hold back. So I ask the question because in staying put, the statement is we're in a playoff spot right now. We're not going to mess that up. We're going to go to the playoffs and take our chances. If you fall out of that playoff spot after doing nothing <laughs> and after not starting the rebuild and trading away some pieces, then I think that fans are probably sitting around thinking, well, what was that for? Had a chance to maybe make some moves and better the future of the, the, the franchise at the trade deadline and stayed put because management was thinking this what, is going to the playoffs. What message does it send to have a turnaround that they did and then to sell off yeah, if when you're, you're in, in the playoff it, race? If you're in it and you appear to bail, 
I think you you really That's soft. Get We've also done this though before, it. where they tried to run it back, and fans were pleading with them to do something, and instead they ran it back and it, it slapped them in the face. But I they ran it back no, from the beginning. I was pleading with them the to do something. The they, Everyone's pleading to run it back that, when they do that. But they, but they wanted their they wanted the, the 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 players to get their way and run it back. How here's what I'm saying: this. How often can you leave it in the players' hands that since that Stanley Cup final run have not delivered? And when you just admit that, you know, this group may not get it done to the level we want to get it done. And guess what the level they want to get it done? Stanley Cup. That is the level that that is what they're seeking. But when they ran it back, they had Shea Weber. Uh, They didn't have Roman Yossi as their captain. They changed that. This is a different Since then, they've traded P.K. Subban. They have UC Soros as their main goaltender and not Pecorine. So it's not the same group that, quote-unquote, ran it back. No, it's not the same group. And they did change after they ran it back. My point is, this was another point in time, totally different roster, totally different team, where they had a decision. Make some trades, free some things up, play for the future, make this team better in the long haul for the future, or stay put. They stayed put last time, it didn't work. They stayed put this time, if they don't go to the playoffs, it didn't work. Uh, To me, it's pretty simple. Now look, they're still in playoff position. Uh, that was a disaster last night, but it's not like their season's lost. No. They still should go to the playoffs, and then I'll be looking back and saying, well, that's fine, you made the playoffs. But if you stay put this time and you don't go to the playoffs, that's failure. Odds are they go to the playoffs and they get their asses kicked. It could, but anything yeah. happens could be when the you case. go to the playoffs, right? Um, Especially with a good goal. Dallas has a, a tough stretch coming up as well. Uh, the Preds have no walk in the park with their, with their schedule. Um, I, this goes one of two ways. They either get back on their, their path of victory and you, you felt like there was going to be a split in Chicago. You say it was a bad 10 minutes. There, there will also be a time when Dallas surpasses Nashville in the standings, and I will not sit here and freak out over it because of the games at hand uh, and the back and forth that's going to take place. But, but keep in mind, there are some head-to-head matchups coming up that are must-wins for the franchise. Um, and based on the way the Preds are built, um, I don't disagree with the idea that you just stand put and see if you can make the postseason. It's important for their business model to make the postseason. So selling off and sending the message to fans that you're rebuilding in a year where you're trying to sell tickets, in a year where they're releasing tickets to fans and, and after season ticket holders have the option to buy and chose not to, that's a sign to me that they need to continue to have interest in the product. Now, I'm going if given the opportunity because it's a social event. But I also don't want the team I'm investing in for the next three years to give any idea that they're selling off and rebuilding for a, a future investment with a new general manager. Well, it's, look, I, I in a playoff race. I understand why they're doing what they're doing. I'm just saying if given the opportunity to set this franchise up for the future, you don't do it and you go for the playoffs and don't make the playoffs. Not making the playoffs is just a failure in and of itself, but it's even a bigger failure if, if that's the opportunity you had and you didn't take it. Got to go for but now. I get the business now. side of it also. I, I know the message it sends. The well, message it sends is we're going to suck for two years and, and you're going to have to deal with it until we get on the other side of it. They're going to make some money off of making the postseason. Not so, as much as they would if they had full capacity. Of course not. But uh, they're, I mean, it's better to do it than not. It's important it. for the franchise to make the postseason monetarily. Yeah, and to sell tickets for down the road. They're at that spot. And, you know, how much, 
you know, down the road, are we looking back on last night as the example of what cost them a ton of money moving forward? Yeah, there, there we don't know that yet. There aren't a lot of regular season games that leave lasting impressions. That, no, that's but, one. But I mean, last night it could night, be one. It could be one if they don't make. Last the night felt like what Cleveland would have felt like. The Browns got up by like thirty points on the Titans, and the Titans pulled a comeback. The Browns held on to win that game. Last night was the, the Browns giving up the lead and the Titans coming back to win. And actually losing. And, and losing. That, that's what that was with a team forcing overtime and getting the win. And, and also, you know, they had a, it doesn't have the same complete collapse feel of a playoff series, but I thought about Winnipeg. Whenever I saw the highlights of last yeah. night's game, well, even if they make the playoffs, Chad, depending on how how they make the playoffs, this could still be a benchmark game in terms of do they uh, how do they play the next game? Is this a game they react to in some way, shape, or form that appears like it was a pivot point uh, for them saying, "Hey, we can't uh, if, we if can't they, have something like that happen." But the playoffs will give us our answer. Yes. Because if that's the case, Paul, they're not making the playoffs. Right. If this was the pivot point to a downturn, they're not going to the playoffs. No, but so could it be we'll the pivot point to a, a, a But it's not like they have a lot of room to go up. This is the point. They're going to be in that last playoff spot. You know, there's not a lot of wiggle room yeah. to move up. But how it's well either, do they play? It's either stay there or move down. But how well do they play as they stay there? And, and do they fortify now for the playoffs where they're a better playoff team than we're anticipating, maybe, against one of these teams that – I don't give them much of a chance against in the playoffs based on how they've played. You know? Well, keep in mind, like, last night, 10-minute mark of the third period. They're in good shape. And the goaltending was solid. Yeah, it's not on him at all. So, I mean, it, you get solid goaltending, and as Chad likes to say, you get that puck luck going. Uh, Anything, anything's big. possible. Was there any puck luck conversation last night in the postgame? Puck post luck game? is big. I, I didn't hear any puck it luck. It didn't take much luck to score those goals. So. No. Well, it didn't take much defense to... <laughs> It was pretty them. bad. The, the collapse is, what is, is, is the shocking aspect here. And, uh, look, uh, John Hines was asked about it, and he said, look, I'm not going to stress one win over one loss this time of year. We have to stay measured in how we approach both right, a win and a loss. It's the right coach speak. Um, the players are watching the standings, though. You're watching the point struggle week, game in and game out this time of year across that league. And, again, it, it, the way it's structured and the games at hand and the amount of games that Dallas has coming up, I do think the Stars will overtake them for that fourth spot soon. But the, the panic button can't be hit with the amount of games to play. It's still within the Preds' control. And they have, uh, is it next week or the week after, they have a head-to-head matchup against Dallas at home that is just circled as a must-win for the team. And can you say that about the way they come out and play tomorrow? Because we we if they come out and play well tomorrow, Tomorrow's we're not thinking win. anything about last night. Tomorrow's a must win. You knew coming into this. For the mentality. This like three-game series, three games in a row with Chicago. You need two. The minimum was two out of three. Yes. Uh, getting They had a great chance to be looking at the, the three-game sweep, and then you're really sitting pretty at that point. But now it is a must win against Chicago tomorrow. like to see it early. Uh, like, make it easy on yourself. Come out. Just win. Pissed <laughs> off for greatness. Yeah, I mean, just, just win. That. Like, uh, they look great yes. early to get a 4-1 lead in the third this last yeah, game. Yeah, don't just, come out limp. Just win. And come out with Soros. Yeah, yeah. There was some discussion, oh, I wonder if we'll see Pekka on Friday. No. 
No. Start UC Soros. No. Agreed. Coming up, we hit some other local headlines. We'll ask a Titans question about the direction of this draft in the secondary. I've got a question about Jerry Stackhouse also. A, when will you block me or unblock <laughs> me on Twitter? I'd like to be unblocked. And B, where are all the Vandy fans that were saying, oh, who's asking questions about Stackhouse as the recruiter now? That one of his best players is transferring. We'll we have discuss. that straight ahead, plus Coach Mack, Dave McGinnis, on the legacy of Pat Tillman coming up in 15 minutes on OutKick. Hang with us. OutKick 360 and the Tennessee Power Hour. We will be in Knoxville this Saturday. The orange and white game, and we're pre-gaming. Old City Sports Bar is where we'll be located. Myself, Chad Withrow, Clay Travis from OutKick, we're going to be there. Hope you'll join us. VIPs get free drinks with the drink tickets. We'll have that available, and uh, we will be out of the coffin. <laughs> and, uh, we're going to go Undertaker play. on your asses. Joining Saturday. play in the, in the sunlight uh, on the photo shoot there. Chad, that coffin looks a little small, kind of like yeah, your chair. I know. I need a little more elbow room in the coffin, it looks like. They're going to really just um, jam you in there. That's for your ashes, really. <laughs> Someone, so this, this, prom, this graphic, by the way, is just horrific. Uh, the pictures of me and Hutton, at least, on it. The rest of it's very good. But the paleness oh, look, of me and Hunt compared go. to Clay, someone, I forget who it was, tweeted and said it truly is the orange and white game. <laughs> when you look at Clay's color versus the color, there it is again. As yeah. the guys are showing us, we're in the yeah. coffin there. Uh, we are, in fact, alive. We can say that we can confirm we are alive right now. We may not be on Saturday. <laughs> Only God knows if we're going to be alive then. <laughs> but as of right now, we will be alive, not dead, on Saturday. We will be at Old City Sports Bar in the Old City in Knoxville, getting ready for the orange and white game. Nelson's Greenbrier Distillery is sponsoring. Big news, there's going to be free drinks for the first 25, 30 people. Who knows how many we're going to give away. Let us know, RSVP, if you're going to be there. Uh, you can message me on Twitter, at Withrow Outkick. I'm sorry, at the Chad Withrow on Twitter. And uh, let us know if you're going to be there, and we'll RSVP, give that to the bar, and you'll have a spot, and you'll have a drink ticket to hang out with us on Saturday. It's going to be a big time. Some Outkick VIPs will be there. should be a fun Saturday. You can uh, message us individually, also the show, at Outkick360, and sign up there. We'll message you back, and you'll know if you're on the list. We want you on the list. Join us in Knoxville if you're headed to the Orange and White game this weekend. You'll know. Chad, what should we know about Jerry Stackhouse as a recruiter right now at Vandy? One, He's so soft that he blocks everyone on Twitter. I don't even know that I've ever been that negative about Jerry Stackhouse, and somehow I'm blocked. I found this out a couple weeks ago. Uh, two, and Paul, this is something you harp on a lot. Because you do one thing doesn't erase everything else that's happened. Jerry Stackhouse has not recruited for two years at Vanderbilt. Got called out by some people. He did an interview with Joe Rexroad where he called out more people. Um, he insinuated that racism was leading to people criticizing the job that he had done at Vanderbilt. And then he went out and he landed two pretty big-time recruits, two top 100 guys. Not necessarily elite, top 100 players, though. That's good. It's really good for Vandy. It's not great for the SEC when you look at some other recruiting classes, though. Now, keep in mind, this is for next year's recruiting class. These guys are going to be seniors right. in high school this next season. So he went about adding players in the transfer market. They've done a pretty good job of landing some transfers. Now, one of their biggest transfers, Liam Robbins, is a seven-footer from Minnesota. They also just happened to hire his uncle as an assistant coach. 
hate and he that. chooses Vanderbilt uh, to go from Minnesota, Ed Conroy. So I say all this to tell you the story now that Dylan DeSue, who was their best big man and a possible future NBA player, who Vanderbilt had developed well. He averaged over 15 points a game. He was the SEC's top rebounder while at Vanderbilt. He's entered the transfer portal. Now, the moment that Jerry Stackhouse got these two recruits, I started seeing a lot of stuff on social media. Oh, where's the Jerry Stackhouse can't recruit crowd now? Oh, where's, where's the Jerry Stackhouse crowd on this? He's got to do better. It's that simple. This is a cutthroat conference filled with great coaches. Yes. I put the SEC basketball coaching roster up against any other conference in America. Big Ten, close. ACC, maybe mm -hmm. close, not as close. Now Recently. that Roy Williams retired. No. But you have a lot of wins in this conference. You've got a lot of coaches bringing in some big-time recruits and transfers. Go look at what Auburn has done in the transfer market under Bruce Pearl. Go look at what Arkansas has done in the transfer market. Go look at what Tennessee has done in your state bringing in what's going to be a top three class nationally. If Jerry Stackhouse and Vanderbilt are going to be relevant, they have to be better than this, and you have to re-recruit a guy like Dylan DeSue. If Dylan DeSue decided to take his chance in the NBA draft, that's one thing. That's what Scottie Pippen Jr. did. But you're going to lose Scottie Pippen Jr. and Dylan DeSue off of this roster. I've said it all along. I think he needs to be top half of the SEC in year three. That's not happening. With the loss of DeSue, I don't see any way. Unless he somehow has a Charlie Weiss size decided schematic advantage in games, this roster simply is not good enough to be top half of the SEC, especially with the loss of DeSue. And look, part of the reason Vanderbilt underwent change in the first place was because Kevin Stallings couldn't hold on to players. He turned people off and sent them away. It was, it was an environment that wasn't appealing to stay in. And uh, look, Kevin Stallings went to Pitt. He was a disaster. Um, Kevin Stallings is a good schematic coach. He's a though. good X's and O's coach. We know that about him. They had inbound plays. They, they could make a play at the end of a game mm -hmm. in a one-basket game. Um, and, uh, but he was too tough on guys. And, uh, he, you know, he stomped. He was a foot stomper. You know, and it was a real turnoff. It was a real turnoff to me as a fan of the program. It was time. But it was time. But now, you know, uh, and uh, Bryce Drew was a, a huge disaster, but the next coach needs to be able to get people to the program and keep people in the program. And we've said time and time again, it's a more appealing program than people want to acknowledge. Even fans of the program want to acknowledge. Why can't you keep people there? Well, and I, look, I'll relate this to what's going on with Tennessee football. I just look at the coaching roster, football and basketball in this conference, and I have to ask the question, does Jerry Stackhouse fit in with this group of great coaches? The answer is no right now. He hasn't done enough to prove himself. They've been terrible. He's got an attitude about first two about years. It. He's losing his best players, whether it be to the draft or to the transfer portal. The draft portal. is fine. The transfer portal I, is I not. I agree. I agree. But I look at Josh Heupel in Knoxville, and I'm, I'm asking the question, Look at the coaches across the SEC. Is Josh Heupel good enough to we be competitive? Know. We, we don't gotta know see. yet. we got to yeah, see that, him. That's, that's the difference. We've is seen we, just, we haven't seen him coach play. a season yet. We haven't seen him coach a game, so we don't know. But it is a legitimate question to ask, right? You'd be foolish sure. enough to sit around and say, you know, Josh Heupel's coming to my living room, and Dan Mullen's coming to my living room to recruit me, and Kirby Smart, and Nick Saban, 
and Ed Ogeron, and just go down the list of coaches, Mark Stoops, who's coming into Tennessee and taking the Wade twins from Summit High School that, that Tennessee wanted. When you look at that, is he good enough to compete at the highest level? I don't know. The answer with Hypel is I don't know, but I think it's realistic to question that. I know Vandy fans are questioning the legitimacy of Jerry Stackhouse and his ability to compete in the current state of the SEC, which is a really good basketball conference that features a lot of great coaches. Ben Howland and Frank Martin, guys who are accomplished, aren't getting to the NCAA tournament and aren't winning in this league. What's Jerry Stackhouse going to do? So far, all he's done is lose some of his best players. Needs a breakthrough. And it doesn't look like it's coming when somebody like DeSue is leaving. We'll talk Titans uh, moving forward uh, this week, and we'll get to a, a Titans draft discussion coming up tomorrow. When we come back, we talk with Dave McGinnis of Titans Radio, who was the head coach um, and a great friend, uh, is how he would term it, and rightfully so, with Pat Tillman. This is the 17th anniversary of Pat Tillman's death, uh, death in, in Afghanistan, and we will discuss that with Coach Mack. Uh, Tillman's legacy and some great stories, behind-the-scenes stories, of uh, a legendary football player and man, an American. That's straight ahead on OutKick 360. OutKick 360 with Chad Withrow and Paul Koharski. I'm Jonathan Hutton. Debuting later this afternoon, The Cosell Files with Greg Cosell of NFL Films on the OutKick Network. Be looking on Twitter, on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube. It debuts at 3 Central, 4 Eastern. The Cosell Files breaking down the top players in the NFL draft later this afternoon exclusively on the OutKick Network. It was 17 years ago today that Pat Tillman was killed in Afghanistan. Uh, former NFL player, former college football player at Arizona State. He left the Arizona Cardinals to enlist as a U.S. Army Ranger, turning down a near $4 million contract to serve his country after 9-11, and was tragically killed in Afghanistan 17 years ago today. Among the people we know, no one knows him better or knew him better than Coach Dave McGinnis, who is the analyst for the Titans Radio Network, but the former head coach of the Arizona Cardinals. And he joins us now on OutKick 360. Mac, it is great to have you on the show. Thank you for the time today. It's always good to be on any type of venue with you guys. And I really appreciate the opportunity to, you know, to talk about, to talk about Pat. I mean, this, this, time of year always comes up and it always brings up, you know, some, some very rough times. But again, it also, you know, brings back a flood of memories about a very, very special person in Pat Tillman. First time you met Pat Tillman was when? What, what impression did he make on you? Because he made an impression on anyone the first time they met him. Well, I was a defensive coordinator, you know, when Pat, his senior year, when he was playing there at Arizona State. And so, you know, I had met him before because they had come up to use our facility there at the Cardinals sometimes to practice. Uh, and, of course, you know, we had, we had Jake Plummer on our, on, our, on our team then, and they were, they, they were teammates. But the first time that I really had any real interactions with him was uh, during the, the Arizona State workout, school workout, 
and 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 myself, Larry Marmee, who was the uh, my second my secondary coach at the time, and then uh, uh, Bob Ferguson, who was the general manager at the time. We went over there to the workout at Arizona State specifically to work out Pat Tillman because uh, all three of us were just we we absolutely loved him, loved the way he played, loved what he stood for. And we wanted to go see, because he was a tweener. I mean, he played an overhang linebacker there at Arizona State. I think was a Pac-10 defensive player of the year. Made made every tackle. Was just was just a dynamo on the field. But, I mean, you know, he, he didn't really have a position yet in the National Football League as far as in a lot of draft people's minds. And so we went over there to work him out. You know, after all the scouts had got through waiting, measuring him and doing everything, uh, we wanted to take him to a field and let him work out, see if he could play in the back end at all. And so that's why I took Larry Marmee with him. We were going to run some defensive back drills for about 10 or 15 minutes after it got through being weighed, measured, and jumping, and all the things that the scouts do. Well, it turned in, just because it was Pat Tillman, into about a 35- or 40-minute ordeal because when we, when we put it – the first thing that, that came to mind was when we did the vertical jump, the, had the guy that was running the vertical jump didn't quite understand how to do it. And so Tilly got up there, you know, of course, with his shirt off, his long flowing hair, and – and, and jumped up there and slapped the thing. And, and the guy yelled out, 26 inches. And Pat went, are you out of your mind? Just screamed at him. Well, it was because he jumped 36 inches. You know? uh, and so I went, whoa, okay, well, this dude is a little bit as advertised. And then we went to work him out on the field over there. And of course, you know, again, you know, Pat was always always had his always had his shirt off and he had his cleats on. And so we started working on him. It was a it was a it was a practice field there. And so it wasn't great grass at that time of year over there. But anyway, we started working him out and just throwing some deep balls to him and letting him run, you know, quarter turns, half turns, seeing if he could break off the hash and doing those things. Well, he had never done much of that because, as I said, he was a second level overhang player as a linebacker, you know, slash strong safety in, in their in their system. So we were putting him in space, doing some things with him. And he was diving for balls and, you know, flipping and having to come back and do the drill, you know, another time because he didn't quite turn right. So anyway, after about 10 minutes, we said, all right, Pat, that's good. He said, no, you know, I'm shitty. He said, that's bullshit. He said, let's do this again. He said, I, we, I can't leave on that. I said, okay. And so we, you know, <laughs> we just kept doing it. So it came to draft day and, you know, we got around to the seventh round and, uh, you know, I, I was, course in the draft room and, and with Larry Marmee and, and you know we said really hey guys if it really makes any difference in this seventh round uh, who, who you know the defensive coordinator the secondary coach one on this team we'd like to draft Pat Tillman I mean come on I mean here you know here you're sitting here we're 220 we, this is a guy we'd love to have and so anyway we took him and then we were all very happy. And then after we took him, guys, about two days after we, we had taken him, my secretary knocks on the door and she says, uh, Coach Mike, Pat Tillman's in the lobby. would like to talk to you. And I said, well, sure. Tell him to come on in. And so he, he came in. He had ridden his bicycle over there in his flip-flops, which is what he did. And, and he, again, you know, had on, had on a cut-off shirt, you know, the long flowing hair. And he pulled up a chair and just sat down across from the desk and said, hey, look. He said, I really appreciate you drafting me. He said, but I know why you did. He said, you don't have very many people in the stands. Think you can get some more people in the stands because the local kid. I know you think, you know, seventh round pick, I'll come in here and just, you know, be a special teams player for a year or two. He said, I'm just telling you right now, Coach Mack, if you'll spend some time with me, I'll be your starting safety. And I went, okay, I will. And uh, he was. Just uh, unbelievable storytelling from Coach Mack. Uh, on, on Pat Tillman. And I'm hearing all this, Coach, and I'm thinking, 
this guy, A, is obviously very intense, um, but I'm also thinking he, he comes across as sort of the ultimate guy's guy in a lot of oh. ways. When you, when you start to study his life and everything he was about, I'm curious, though, what was he like as a teammate in the locker room? Clearly a guy who held other teammates accountable, but from your vantage point, what, what was it like for the players to play with a guy and a personality like Pat Tillman? Chad, I love the question, and it just leads to so many things, especially about Pat. I hear you guys a lot use the word alpha, you know, uh, uh, relating to people in sports. Well, he was the ultimate alpha dude, but he was an alpha guy that, that had some intelligence and some sensitivity to him. But let me tell you about him as a teammate. We drafted a guy in the sixth round named Zach Walls from Dartmouth. He was a linebacker. And he and Pat were roommates. You know, we had it, we, we, we roomed together during training camp. So they became really close friends. Very two very smart guys, you know, good athletes, but you know, smart dudes. You know, Pat was extremely bright, extremely bright. And so, you know, those guys got along uh, uh, very well. Well, one, one week during training camp, you know, they're, they're at the Cardinals that had a, had a tradition. It was always one rookie group's uh, uh, responsibility to bring donuts on a certain day during, during training camp for breakfast early in the morning. Well, it was the linebacker's uh, turn, and Zach Walls, Zach Walls had gotten up late and had not brought the donuts there on time. And so anyway, you know, you know how Hazen used to be in the National Football League training camps. And so as, as a punishment after the morning practice, all the vets grabbed Zach Walls and taped him to the goalpost. All right. And then everybody went in and they told all the rookies, look, leave him out there. This is what happens to you if you don't bring the donuts on time. So we all walk in and, you know, and of course it's 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 hot out there. And, and you know, it's 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 Phoenix in, in training camp time. And so Zach's out there tied to, the, you know, taped to the goalpost and Pat Tillman, you know, because I'm standing there going, you know, am I gonna, how long am I going to let this go on? Because, you know, I'm the defensive coordinator at the time. How long am I going to let this go on? Or do I look and, you know, let, let the guys in the locker room have their time? And then, well, I see Pat Tillman. Pat walks just, you know, as has sit down, is taking his stuff off. And then he just walks to the training room. And then we had a, we had a trainer there that had been there for years, the Cardinals, named Jim Shearer. They called him the machine. Great guy. And he said, machine, let me have your scissors. And so, you know, machine gave him his scissors. And Pat turned off and started walking, walking outside and then walked out the door started walking towards zach walls now the other rookies are yelling at pat pat no hey pat no just leave him there no don't because they're you know it's going to come down on the rest of us don't don't pat walks right up to him cuts him cuts all the tape off unwraps it zach walls is telling him look pat look i can this is fine i can take it don't un, un unwraps him comes walking back inside Pat Tillman walks right through that locker room and takes and, and, and all the vets are just sitting there looking at him. Not one word was said to him. Not one word was said to him. Went in, gave Machine the scissors. Zach Walls came in, took his shower, and that was it. That was Pat Tillman to a T. Everybody knew that that was a legitimate dude. What do you remember about uh, 9-11 and when it became clear to you that uh, while it was affecting all of us, um, it, it affected Pat Tillman in a different way, that, that it was going to prompt, prompt a, a career change for him? Yeah, Paul, and I, and, and I remember that very vividly because we had a, a big television set down in the PR, you know, the PR department. And after, of course, after it all, I can remember. Pat Tillman sitting there. Paul Jensen was our PR director. And Pat sat there for a good 45 minutes just watching all of it. 
the replay, just watching all of it, just sitting there. And of course, I had no idea at the time that it would have that kind of impact on him. But I will say this, uh, you know, the Arizona Republic ran an American flag on the, the entire back page was just, you know, the American flag on the back page of the Arizona Republic. And Pat Tillman, uh, you know, had cut that out. And then all of our meeting rooms there were, were in, entirely glass, you know, around an auditorium there. And Pat Tillman brought that American flag and taped it on that, on that, on that, on that window of the defensive meeting room. He taped it up there, just taped it up there, didn't say a word, and just left it. And we left it there, you know, for the, for the entire year. And so when everything culminated and, you know, then the story when he came to tell me what he was going to do and what he and his brother Kevin had decided to do. I mean, all of those memories came flooding back about how much it affected Pat Tillman and then the actions that he took. When, when, uh, when the news got back to you um, that, that he had been killed, killed in action, uh, there was a, a lot of, uh, there, were, there was no clarity for a long time about what happened. And it took a long time for things to be sorted out. How, how much for you and how much for his family did at least the, the resulting case that, that told us what happened, the friendly fire and all of that, bring some sense of closure? And, and how much was the haziness about how things unfolded over there? How disconcerting was that? Well, I think disconcerting is a mild word. I mean, it was, it was gut-wrenching. It was, it was, it was heartbreaking. You know, it, it really was because, you know, you know, just take it back to the, when, when I when I got the news. I mean, it was during it was, we were we were getting ready for the draft. I was in a draft room with Jeff Fisher. And we were, you know, we and the scouts and we were, you know, getting ready to finalize and set the board. And Robbie Boren came and knocked on the door and, and said, Coach Fisher first, uh, you know, could you come out a minute? So he came out and then all of a sudden Fish stuck his head in and said, Mac, we need to see you outside here. So when I came out and then that's when, you know, uh, you know, Fish, uh, you know, grabbed a hold of me and told me, said, look, Mac, uh, I just want to let you know that we just found out that Pat Tillman's been killed in Afghanistan. And so, I mean, it just went, everything went completely blank from there. And then, <clears throat> you know, for the next three days, I was doing, you know, all the national, all the national media, all the, all the political show, all the news shows, CNN, you know, Fox, all of them, just all of them, uh, you know, just a myriad of them. And then, of course, the whole wave of that. And then, you know, I was, I went out to San Jose to do the to do the memorial. I mean, and it was it was all just heartbreaking and gut wrenching. And you know, I mean, a lot of it was the story that was told at first. And then when we found out that the story that told at first was not the story, well, then it just it just you know dug it all back up. And then it made it even harder. And I went through. I've still got redacted copies, you know, from 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 all of those all of those hearings, you know, when, when his mother, when his uh, mother, Danny and Marie and his two brothers, you know, and, and his dad, Pat, they all went, you know, to, you know, to, to in front of Congress, you know, with, with all of this guys, it was heartbreaking. It was gut wrenching. And all of it though, uh, never did detract one time from the pureness and the reason that Pat Tillman did what he did because Pat Tillman never wanted any notoriety for this. He and his brother, Kevin had made this decision you know, out of a out of a out of a sense of duty and out of a, a, a sense of just what they thought was right at the time. And so Pat Pat would have been the last one to have wanted any of this recognition. But as you bring up, Paul, the, the fact that, first of all, I mean, 
just losing him was horrendous and then having to have it brought back up again because the circumstances were not portrayed as they were the first time it was really gut-wrenching mac what what do you remember about the last time you you spoke with him what was that like he had, he had, yeah i'm sorry he had called he had called me you know they'd gotten back from their first turn but tour in baghdad in iraq he was at fort lewis you know, up there in Seattle, and he and he and Kevin, and then his wife, you know, Marie, because they'd just been married before he was, you know, before he had gone in, and and so, uh, you know, they'd just gotten back, and he called me. We were going to play the Seahawks up there, and he called me and said, "Hey, Coach Mac, Tilly." I said, "Pat, great to hear from you. What's going on?" He said, "You guys coming up here to play next weekend?" He said, "Could I buy a couple of tickets?" And I said, "What?" He said, "No, I'd like to buy a couple of tickets." I said, "Pat, please, what the hell?" So anyway, I went down and I went down to talk to our owner, Bill Bidwell. I said, "Look, Pat Tillman's just called me, and uh, you know he's he's in Seattle, wants to come to the game." Uh, and, he, and, and of course, Mr. Bidwell said, "Absolutely, anything he wants." And so anyway, I called Pat back and said, "Look, you know we've got you, we've got your hotel rooms, you know we've got you, you know you're, you're going to sit up in the suite with the owners." And he said, "Mac, I don't want any of that. I don't want that. I just want to come see the fellas and see you." And I said, "No, this is how we're going to do it." And so anyway, he 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 did that. And, and, and he came and then, you know, I, I wanted him to talk to the team and he would, he wanted no part of that. He wanted zero part of talking to the team. He said, this is not about me. He says, it's not about me. It's about these guys getting ready to play a game. I just want to see them, you know? And so I finally talked him into uh, the next morning, Sunday morning, because he, he and he and Marie and, and about five of his friends, they, uh, you know, I had a suite uh, uh, up top there at the hotel where we were staying in Seattle. And so they came up after our team meeting and we stayed up for a long time, just talking and had food brought up. And then, you know, he asked me when he was leaving the suite, he said, coach Mack, what time do you get up in the morning? I said, well, early. And he said, you know, there's a Starbucks right across here that opens at six. Would you, you know, could we meet there? I said, sure. So myself and Larry Marmee go over there and meet him to talk, you know, just to talk with him. And then uh, I asked him then, I said, Pat, what, what are you thinking about doing? And he said, well, I've got, you know, I signed up for, for uh, tour duty for three years. I'm going to serve that out because guys, he had been offered because he had already been overseas. He had been offered a chance, you know, to, to, to get out early. And, and there were teams that would, had already uh, inquired about him. He said, I'm going to serve, you know, out, out, out my time, what I had, you know, what I'd committed to do. And then he said, I'm going to come back and play. And he said, uh, you know, I want to come back and play for you. And I said, well, Pat, look, I don't know where I'm going to be. I said, but I promise you this, wherever I am, you will have a place to play with me. And so we left it at that. And then so as we were leaving that meeting and we walked in, I said, Pat, would you at least come to the pregame meal this morning just to see some of the guys? He said, you know, let me go talk to Marie about it, you know, and think about it. And then he called me and he said, hey, I'm coming down. Guys, when he walked into that pregame meal, it was dead silence. I mean, I mean, it was it was really, really an emotional moment because those guys had not seen him, you know, and I mean, it was really, really an emotional moment for the guys that had been on the team with him. And then the younger guys that already knew what the legend of Pat Tillman was growing to be. And so after the ball game, uh, Paul Jensen, our PR director, kept the press out of our locker room for a time so that Pat could come in and say goodbye to everybody. His brother, Kevin, stood outside of the locker room, didn't want to come in. He said, this is Pat's time. And so Pat came in, you know, was talking to everybody. And when he got through, he, you know, we hugged each other. And he said, Coach Mack, he said, uh, I'll see you when I'm, when I'm done. He said, I love you, Coach Mack. I said, I love you too, Pat. And that's the last time I saw him. Mm. Coach Mack, I just, as we close here, I want to say thanks for coming on and, and telling these stories. And in a time where it seems to be sort of in vogue to criticize America and America's place in the world, 
I think it's important that Americans know the Pat Tillman, Pat, Pat Tillman story. How important is it to you that you get the word out about this great man and about his story? Well, you know, Chad, and, and it's because everything he did was so genuine. I mean, it's not like, you know, I'm on a soapbox, and Pat never was on a soapbox either. Because let me tell you this, Chad, when he decided that this is what he was going to do and set and pulled his chair right up next to mine when he came in and told me what he was going to do, we'd talk for an hour and a half. And, I, and after we got through talking, I said, Pat, have you decided how you're going to disseminate this to the media? I said, this is going to be big news. This is going to be big. Have you thought about this? Because this is going to be a media storm. He said, I'm not saying a word. I said, well, how are you going to handle this? He said, I'm not, Coach Mack. You can. You're good at this. He wanted nothing to do about any type of recognition. And he didn't, he went, he went in with the intentions of going to Ranger school, but he went in as a, you know, in base, in the base general way that you go in and then earned his way up. He and Kevin both, they went to Ranger school and passed it, you know, and then went. So Pat Tillman was zero about Pat Tillman always. And by being zero about Pat Tillman, those people around him, it was always about Pat Tillman. And so anytime I do get a chance to talk to him, I'm asked to do, you know, a, a lot of a lot of speeches about him, you know, in, in talking with this, especially this time of year. And the one thing that I like to portray with him, everything he did was genuine. And it was for the real reasons. And I think that's what is really important, the message to get out. It was he did it out of a genuine sense of duty and pride about where he lived and what this was about. First of what will not be the the last visit with Coach Dave McGinnis here on Outkick 360 discussing uh, the American hero and Pat Tillman on the 17th anniversary of his death in Afghanistan in, back in 2004. One of the best dudes we know is Dave McGinnis. Mac, this was awesome. Thank you for, for telling some great stories and, and recounting what it was like in 2004 when this news happened. Uh, we appreciate your time today, and uh, maybe we'll see you at dinner soon. Who knows? Thanks, yeah, Mac. Guys. guys, it's always a pleasure to be on with you guys, and it's a real honor to be able to talk about Pat. Thank you. See you. Thanks, Coach. Coach Mack. Dave McGinnis has been our guest. Uh, great having him on for the yes. first time there. Uh, debut of the Cosell Files is in two hours. Be on the lookout for social media, Facebook, stream, YouTube stream. You can find that on Twitter at Outkick360 and across the Outkick podcast platforms. It drops at 4 Eastern, 3 Central, the Cosell Files talking all things NFL draft. One quick tidbit from Tom Brady, not a fan of the New Jersey number rules on social media, said, good luck trying to block the right people now. Going to make for a lot of bad football. Cry me a river, Tom. You'll sort through it. Your coach used to put no numbers on anybody at practice. They'll still win the Super Bowl. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I look forward to hoisting another Lombardi trophy at the end of next yeah. season as well. On a side note. Hey, fun show today. We are back at it tomorrow. Hey, uh, we'll close with thanks to our old employer. You came on to watch Dave McGinnis. <laughs> See how it's done. That's how you do it. That's how you debate. Don't block the box. Do lock the locks. See you.